This is the Significant Man Recharge Show. I'm your host, Warren Peterson. We're Christian men who talk about the important topics that matter in life. We're men who live in this world, but are not of this world. You know your life can be busy, noisy, and chaotic. This is the show for you to get renewed, restored, and to recharge. So let's get started. So, hey, Mike, thanks for being on the show. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Hey, Warren, I'm so excited to be here. So thanks. It's an honor. So, um, thanks. Yeah, we, yeah. We, so we met up at base camp up in the mountains, and uh, I was out of, out of one of the cabins for a while, and I came in, and I saw you guys, had, you had a bunch of the guys just enthralled in this conversation, and I was sad that I missed the whole thing, and it was about the Bible. And so it, it, it jumped into my mind. I'm like, okay, we have to have this kind of conversation on the podcast. There are a lot of people that want to hear this. So um, why don't you just give us a quick high level of what is the Bible? Like, we'll st- I know that's a huge question, but let's just start really high level. What, what is the Bible? If we're talking about the story of the Bible, what is the Bible? Uh, the Bible is an anthology. So for anybody that was alive in the late 90s, or early 2000s and remembers uh, someone putting together something called the Beatles anthology, right? That's what a reference, the notion of a collection of media um, around a certain topic. And so the Bible is, it's an anthology. It is not a book or it's not a book the way that we as uh, 21st century Western civilization Americans think of a book. We typically think of a book as there's a guy and his name is Warren and he sits down and he writes a book and then yeah. the book gets printed and published and all of that. And so the Bible is not that. And um, we, we go into it sometimes ignorantly, or we have no other reference point, of course, thinking that it is a book rather it's a, it's a collection of media. So the Beatles anthology, of course, was a collection of, you know, movies and videos and albums and um, notes and documents and documentaries and all of these things compiled. And so I like to look at the Bible or think of the Bible as something similar, where it is a collection of a bunch of different works um, written at different times um, by dozens of authors over the course of um, probably 1500 years and um, compiled in different ways at different times and uh, put together surrounding one particular theme. And um, then it has a lot of themes that also are around with it or, you know, sub themes or mini themes, but still the one theme being God's, you know, we can phrase this, I I phrase it different ways, but the one thing being God's redemptive plan for humanity, you know, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's multiple layers to that. It's his love. um, It's his love for his creation. It's, It's his love for his creation and then his redemptive plan for his creation. So that's what the Bible is. Yeah. And that's a lot to absorb. That, that's a lot to absorb. And one of the, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this, uh, have this discussion with you is when you tell that to somebody, that's what the Bible is. It's, it's overwhelming. And, yep. and I know I've spoken with a lot of men and they'll tell me, yeah, I, th- I think I want to read the Bible more, or I want to get into the Bible more, but I, it's just so much. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to begin. Um, some people will just, all right, I tried reading the Bible, I, Genesis 1-1, and I tried reading through it. And then, you know, I got into some of this stuff a little bit later, or I got into Leviticus or things, and I was just having a hard time processing. So I put it away. And then a few years later, I was like, I really should be reading the Bible. So I got it out again. And I started at Genesis 1-1. I'm like, I'm going to read the book and, and uh, was having a hard time again. Um, if somebody were to have that conversation with you and they're like, I want to read the Bible, but I'm, I'm having a hard time just opening it and starting sentence one, page one. How do you recommend somebody who's brand new to the Bible? They don't know the Bible. They don't know the story. They've heard about it. They want to read it. Where and how do you recommend someone like that get started with the Bible? Well, I actually recommend that they start by trying to understand what uh, the story of the Bible rather than the stories in the Bible. Because okay, we yeah. have we 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 treat or have treated the Bible as a collection of a bunch of different stories, and so then we just go to the story of David and Goliath, and we 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 learn that there. Now I will say that it also depends on a little bit of their upbringing or their base, uh-huh. right? So if it's a person yeah. who's you know raised in a Judeo-Christian culture, and we just kind of absorb these things, and 
some of Jesus's ethical teachings from the Sermon on the Mount are posted on classroom walls and we don't even realize it, those types right. of things. So we've right. been exposed or taught um, Judeo-Christian principles. So there's some, you know, it depends on the foundation that they have in place. Um, but it's, it's, I, I kind of look at it as like an engine, as an internal combustion engine. So, yeah. you know, if your mechanic comes to you and says, hey, um, you, you have a problem with, with ignition, well, ignition is kind of a big, it's kind of a bigger topic. It's, there's a lot to ignition. Are we talking about the spark? Are we talking about um, the timing? You know, are we talking about compression inside the cylinder? You know, there's a couple of factors there when, when your mechanic says ignition. So it's kind of a big topic as opposed to fuel. You know, well, fuel could be fuel delivery. Fuel could be fuel pressure, you know, those types of things. So when someone wants to start by reading the Bible or start where they don't know where to start, it's funny what you said about Leviticus. Yeah, I mean, Genesis is, is, is cool, is good, and there's lots in Genesis. And then Exodus is like a story. So it, it lays out very narratively about, you know, what happens. And then we get to Leviticus and it's like, all right, move right. you know, then we've I've lost all of my momentum. Um, so... Um, I, I really think the best place to start is the end. And that's actually how I start when I teach. Um, that's where I start when I teach the story of the Bible is I start at the end. And when I say the end, I mean the resurrection. Um, because I, I heard it put this way, and I've, I've really leaned in on this, the notion that the Bible is not the beginning of Christianity any more than your birth certificate is not the beginning of you. Your birth certificate was not your birth. Your birth certificate is just the document of your birth. So the Bible was not the beginning of Christianity. Rather, the resurrection was the beginning of Christianity. So um, a great place to start then is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tells the story of Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection. And then from there, you can start to, to expand and leap out, so to speak, um, into what the rest of the Bible has and how yeah. it ties back to god's redemptive plan for humanity which is jesus christ yeah yeah i like that and so i mean i, I could i could keep going from there it's it's yeah. like the notion of if you can imagine maybe in the first century we have um these these men that have now been commissioned by jesus to go out and tell the story of of him as the messiah so they go out and one of these men in particular is paul and he goes out and he's telling the story um, of Jesus and his death on the cross, resurrection, and being the Messiah and salvation for all humanity. And Paul is talking to Gentiles mainly as he goes around the Mediterranean, he's planting these churches and he goes around the Mediterranean and he's talking um, probably to mostly Gentiles, right? That's who is a lot of his audience were. And we say Gentiles, of course, I always have to make sure people know that's just not Jew. <laughs> it's yeah. as simple as that, right? So not Jewish, not a, a Jewish person. And so he's talking to these Gentiles and these, these Gentiles start reading and, or they start learning about this man named Jesus and being the Messiah. And I just imagine that there's this, this Jewish neighbor or this Jewish friend who says, Hey, by the way, do you know, we've been talking about him for thousands of years. And the Gentile says, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've been talking about him for thousands of years and they, and they would, they would reach over into their cat, into their, you know, reach over their coffee table and they would pull out, you know, their Hebrew Bible, and they would say, yes, we've had him in here for thousands of years. And so now you're this Gentile person who's just professed your faith in Jesus, this man who died on the cross for your sins. And now all of a sudden you're being introduced to thousands of years of history mm -hmm. of all pointing back to this, this event and this moment and this man. And so then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, you know, so this is all actually part of the story. This is the reason yeah. why we would include the Hebrew Bible, of course, in the story of yeah. Jesus. Yeah, And so that would be the perspective then that you could see as a person who says, I don't even know where to start. It's like, okay, well, if you start with Jesus, then the story builds around him, you know? And so then when you get to revelation, you're like, Oh, okay. Now I get right. And then when you, when you're back and you're in Genesis and you're reading in Genesis chapter three, there's a reference to Jesus in Genesis chapter three. Well, now you're like, Oh, that's the reference to Jesus. Yeah. rather than just reading Genesis chapter three. And then the other thing I would say about this is it's like watching a movie more than one time. We all enjoy watching movies more than once. If we enjoy the movie, of course, even though we know what's coming, the right. anticipation of what's coming is actually a very good effect, right? Like if you watch the sixth sense again, 
you know that wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute yeah. now you're in it's like you have a you you have a behind the scenes look that you didn't have the first time you watched it and so when you're watching the movie the second time or the third time like oh man this is so good because you know what's coming right and so i think that's what's really neat right is that so that way when you're when you're walking through the old testament you're like oh but but i know what's coming like you it's yeah. like you want to speak through the pages to the people of israel and say but we know what's coming yeah like you're suffering through 400 years of silence between the old testament and the new testament i I know what's coming. Like I know what's coming in the next in the in the opening chapters of the New Testament. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be it'd be like you um you recorded the the Super Bowl win of your favorite team. You're gonna watch it again. And 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 when you watch it again, you have that anticipation, oh, this is when this happens, this is when this happens, this is when this happens, or this is the this is the play, you know, at the end of the oh, game. The play this that is changed whatever. It. Yeah, the play that changed it, right? And and yeah. you know that, so you're going to keep that recording, and you're going to watch that. So yeah, I like I like that thinking of that. Um, you mentioned in there a couple times the, the Hebrew Bible. So for for guys who are new, they wouldn't know what you mean by that, right? They would say, right. "What I thought I thought we were talking about the Bible." So what's what's the Hebrew Bible? Why don't we get a little bit into sort of the structure and and the division and the and the breakdown of of how this how this anthology is put together yeah so so the hebrew bible um we refer to it as the old testament so when you hear the old testament we're, we're generally talking about the hebrew bible um you know bible nerds you know there's some more specifics to that like any other topic you know when they say the hebrew bible they might be referring to two-thirds of it um not all three parts but for simplicity's sake right when we say the hebrew bible or when i say it I'm referring to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is divided up into three sections. Um, and, and remember, like I said, every, everything is stamped with this notion of there are there are Bible nerds way smarter than me, and they would unpack yeah. it, you know, way more, you know, with more, way more specificity than I will. But yeah, so for simplicity's sake, it's, it's the idea that there's three sections, and what's cool about it is that you can remember these three different sections by using the Hebrew word for the Hebrew Bible. So it's called the Tanakh, and the Tanakh has three like syllables to it, T, N, and K. And so then the T, N, and K uh, stand for the, the, the different sections. So the T being the Torah, mm-hmm. or in, in Hebrew, we might pronounce it Torah, and that's the law. And those are the, generally considered to be the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So when we refer to the Torah, we are often talking about the first five books of the Bible. Um, like I said, there's there in scholarship, there's other things the Torah or the word the law might refer to. Um, but Jesus even refers to the law um, in, in his teachings. He would refer to the law, and we, we believe that he was referring to those first five books of the Bible that we give credit to Moses for uh, writing. Yeah. So the Torah is the T. The N is the Nevi'im, um, which uh, just refers to the prophets. Um, and it's the Nevi'im is, is the narrative um, stories that we find um, in the Old Testament. So the because, OK, let me just let me just jump over to that to say that there are different styles of writings in the Old Testament or really throughout the scriptures. But mainly in the Old Testament, some things are told as a narrative story just as an easy to understand, easy to read and easy to digest narrative story. Then some things are poetry. So we're talking about Psalms and Proverbs. So it's it's not telling a story. So it's presented in a different way. Um, And so um, the Torah um, is the law, the first five books of the Bible. Then the N is Nevi'im, and that refers to the prophets um, and the narrative writings that tell us more of the story of the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And then the K stands for the Kedavim, and the Kedavim is are the um, the wisdom literature is one of the phrases that we use to describe those, and that would be things like uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, uh, Song of Solomon, things like that. And so that's essentially the Old Testament kind of divided up into those um, yeah. three sections. We're referring to the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, and and what about the division or the structure then? of the new Testament, it's not the same. So how is, how is the new Testament structured differently? Um, I, I, I like to just refer to it as how Jesus lived and how we should live. 
mm, how I Jesus like lived yeah. and how we should live. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of easy to think of it that way, how Jesus lived and how we should live. There's one or two books that are kind of an exception to that revelation. So revelation is kind of an outlier. It doesn't really fall into one of those two categories. And um, Acts is kind of its own little thing because it's just telling the story of the spreading of the church in the first century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even still, we can use it as a guide for how we should hold church, how we should do church, right. how we should be missionaries, how we should spread the gospel. So yeah. I would still put that into the category of how we should live. Um, yeah. So how Jesus lived, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then how we should live the rest of the New Testament. Yeah. Um, but um, go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> so when we think about that, when we think about all of these things put together from from the beginning of the of the Old Testament, from the Torah, all the way through um, the, the the prophets, and all the way through into how Jesus lived in the Gospels, and then we have a little bit of history in in Acts, and then we have how we should live, as you mentioned, you know, the different letters that were written, and then we have Revelation. How is that one story? How how is all of that one story? Well, it's. As it turns out that God's redemptive plan for humanity is both simple and complex. And so that's that's how it's one story, right? Um, to say to say that the Beatles were just, you know, a couple of guys with some guitars and, you know, traveling the world, making lots of money, it's both simple, but there's there's way more complexity to it. So you yeah. would need to compile more than that to give context and reference, which is actually the very reason why I'm so passionate about this very thing. For example, you use the phrase, the letters. And so people don't know that reference, like you said, right? That's for, for guys that are just True. still new to this thing. They hear the word letters and they're like, okay, whoa, 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 stop. So um, a little while ago, when we were talking about Paul going around the Mediterranean, planting these churches, well, a year or two or three years after he had planted these churches, they'd be like, oh, okay, wait, 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 Paul. So a little bit of confusion and we've got a little bit of, um, you know, uh, disagreements here over here at the church, uh, at this house church that, that you helped plant. And we need you to weigh in on this. Right. And so then when we refer to the letters that Paul wrote, it's the letters that he was writing back to these uh, community churches that he had planted to address topics um, that they that they really needed some help, um, you know, finding the, the, the right understanding and the right theology of. So we now use those, of course, in a, a 21st or well, since then we've been using them as, as application, yeah. but yes. So that's a, 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 like a subtle thing right there that the letters is understanding that bigger context. So that's why you would have to um, have all of this to put together, you know, like you like what you would what, to go back to your question, right? The reason you'd have to put all this together and compile all of it, um, is because of is there's multiple layers to it, and while it is, while the story of the story of being a fo- or, or being a follower of Jesus is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. Oh yeah, and so there's there's yeah. lots of layers to that, and it's it's why we would have to have these scriptures. Yeah, and as we as we dig a little deeper, as we get farther into it, we we keep learning. Like one of my favorite things about the Bible is the, the continual learning that happens. Unlike, unlike pick another great, uh, it's, it's hard to even put them on the same, on the same level. Um, Lord of the Rings. A lot of people have read Lord of the Rings and you can read it again and get a little bit more out of it. And you could read it maybe a third time and get a little bit more. Maybe there is a detail that you missed here or there. Uh, but then you go into some of the supplemental reading to try to to try to keep going more if you're really into that. The Bible, you can read, say the say the Gospels, you, you can read them a dozen times and it keeps filling you up every time. And sometimes you read past a passage that you've read 10 times before. And all of a sudden on the 11th time through, a light bulb goes off and you go, oh, 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 that's what that means. Or that's how that impacts my life. Or that's how I'm, you know, um, what do you think about that? About the fact that somebody could read the same passage a dozen times and, and on that 12th pass through just a completely new idea or perspective comes to them. And that's different than any other literature out there. Yeah, well, of course, there's a reason why the Bible is the number one selling book for however long, and it's been translated in more languages and, and all of these other things. 
about it. So two parts to that. Um, number one, um, as, as men, we, we might be in, we're, we're so, so men, you know, our, our nature, we are kind of inclined more towards things and ladies are typically inclined more towards people. It's just a generalization, but, um, you know, the, the literature seems to be pretty clear about that. And so, um, we kind of want to know the, give me, give me the gist of it. Like, give me this, give me the scoop. And so I think one of the reasons why the Bible can be so challenging to men is because I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch a YouTube video. I'm going to figure out what's going on with my car. I'm going to go fix my car and then I'll be good. You know, that kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. And so, um, we have to develop the knack for, all right, all right. There are multiple layers to this onion. And every time I slice it, I'm going to get a little bit more. I'm going to get a little bit more. I'm going to get a little bit more. But one of the, one of the scriptures, it's funny, that has been inspirational to me um, in the last couple of years is, is Psalm 1, which is funny, the first Psalm. Um, and it's the notion that um, um, verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And it's the notion that studying the scriptures is like a lifetime journey. It's a lifetime journey that we have to do over and over and over again. And we have to meditate on it day and night. And sometimes you just have to read something and then walk away from it and just kind of let it marinate a little bit and just see what's going to happen with this and what kind of inspiration I'm going to get from it, you know, and I'm, I'm reading it. And then all of a sudden I go to church and, you know, through some divine providence, the preacher's message is on the very thing I was reading this week. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Now you get yeah. this better understanding. And so, you know, so yeah, it's this notion that it takes just lots of time to let it sink in and saturate. And you're like, oh, okay, now that makes more sense, yeah. right? And it's the reason why we should put ourselves under regular teaching from someone else, right? And listening, listening to, warn, to, to your podcast, to let other men, other godly men just pour into you and give you some more content for you to say, oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. I'm starting to kind of connect those dots, you know, whereas they weren't connected before, right? Or the notion right. that you should be in church, a, a connected, you should be connected to a community, a, a local church that is pouring into you routinely. And you have older saints that are weighing in and teaching you and telling you things. And so that way, like you said, the third and fourth and 10th time that yeah. you read the parable is so where you're like, Oh, in fact, um, yeah. let me just say this about the parable of the sowers. It's a perfect sure. example. The other night I was reading, I'm going through Jeremiah one, one chapter at a time right now. And there was a reference in Jeremiah about um, thorny ground. And so sure enough, I got down to the, uh, the commentary or the, the, the references at the bottom of, of my Bible, at the bottom of the page there. And it's talking about the fact that um, thorny ground, ground can take seeds as long as the farmer works to get rid of, right, the thorns and the roots and the things that are there. So I have always treated the parable of the sower as this notion of, well, if there's thorny ground, it's probably not going to yield any seed. But when I read back through and had this commentary kind of, you know, teach me a little bit, it's the notion that, well, actually, if we're tilling up ground and if, the, if, if, we're, if we're working to get rid of the thorns, then that ground can become fruitful ground. You know, yeah. whereas I used to treat it as just, nah, it's not going to be fruitful. We'll just hope that the seed falls on the, on the fruitful ground. Yeah. So, so that's why I, I think that, that men then, um, we have to be ready to, to spend time letting this, letting this teach, teach us. Yeah. Right. Letting multiple visits to this teach us rather than, you know, uh, like you said about reading through the Bible. So it's a noble pursuit for us to want to read through the Bible you know, we've all been challenged by people read through the Bible in a year, go to your Bible app, read through the Bible in a year and all of that. But um, I don't want anyone to ever think that they'll read through the Bible in a year and be like, cool, right. I'm good. Right. right. I read the Bible. So now I can I read check the that off the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. It means very little to go through Jeremiah the first time. I mean, I've been in ministry 15 years and I'm going back through the book of Jeremiah one chapter at a time saying, oh man, there's a lot here. Yeah. Ooh, there's a lot here. So yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, when I'm working with guys, something, something else that will come up, you know, related to this, well, I read through it once is, well, I, I go to church and, you know, I'm interested in Christian stuff and, and I do, I do listen to podcasts and things. So why should I, why should I read the Bible? Like I, I know what it's about people. I know the big picture story. I know that Jesus is love. I, I know all these things. And, and this is something that, um, that I have to 
uh, argue is probably too strong of a word, but, but push back on a little bit on the importance of actually reading the Bible yourself, because even listening to this, somebody might say, okay, Mike, I heard you talk about this, but I need to go read that for myself. And that's what you're supposed to do. And other, because one of my concerns is the farther we get away from the actual Bible, now I'm listening to a human being's interpretation of what they think it says. And, and it only takes one or two cycles of that for it to be completely twisted. And that's where we run into the danger of false teachers and false prophets and, and all of that sort of thing, because I'm not reading the Bible myself. I'm just trusting a quote unquote expert to tell me this is what it means. And this is how you should apply it in your life. And therefore we're good. You don't, you don't actually have to go read this on your own and, and that sort of thing that comes up a lot actually in, in the work that I do where guys are, they, they feel that that's enough. So if somebody is doing that sort of thing, they're listening to podcasts and they go to their, they go to church. Sometimes they go to churches where the Bible isn't all that present, which I I've been to churches where the Bible is sort of ancillary. Maybe they mention a, a verse and then it's kind of just a personal development session for a while. Um, what about that? What about people who feel like, well, I kind of know what the idea of the Bible is and I have other people to tell me what it means. So I don't really need to read it myself. Yeah, I'm just, I'm taking notes over here because there's, there's, there's several things to, to say with yeah. that. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is the idea of a GPS and it's the notion of letting the GPS tell you how to get from A to B. You never learn the roads. You just don't. Right. So you, okay. So in the context of what we're talking about, I'm passionate about helping people better understand the big picture of the, the Bible. Right. But I want their personal studies and I, I want their personal studies to be them memorizing the roadmap, understanding the roadmap, right? And then me helping them see that in the bigger map, the entire map picture. And then also when they go to church or when they listen to podcasts, those are some subtle things that help them on their navigational journey, but still they become like you're talking about the master of that situation rather than just letting the YouTube guy become their GPS, right? Yeah. Letting the YouTube guy become the one that tells them this is the path. This is how it goes. This is uh, this is where you turn. This is where you don't turn. Um, so there's that. Um, yeah, there's, gosh, there's so much to that to unpack. Um, <clears throat> let me say this. I've become very, very um, sensitive to pastors that I'm listening to and watching and how much their sermon is about you and how much their sermon is about him. Mm -hmm. I've become very, very sensitive to that. Now, don't give me, now let me, let me make sure I clarify. I have not worked this out in my mind fully. Of course, I'm still trying to wrestle this down. How much of this book is, is life application. That's a very tough thing to try to navigate. Um, This stemmed from someone who challenged me to not look at this. Okay. In the story of David and Goliath, who are you in the story of David and Goliath? Born and raised in church, easy answer, I'm David. And I just have to have enough faith and I can overcome the Goliath. And the guy who said this, he said, you're not David. David is Jesus in the story. Jesus is the one who can overcome the evil. You are the scared Israelite off to the side saying, who is going to deliver us from this evil? And when you look at the story of David and Goliath like that, it changes everything you were yeah. told in Sunday school, unfortunately. So yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to, I don't, I don't want to complicate it, you know, and I'm not trying to muddy any waters. But my point is, is that um, what you, what, to go back to your question, the idea that I want you to navigate these scriptures yourself, looking at um, God loved us. He, cre- he created us, he created us in love to, to, to love each other, love him and love each other right? We, we messed it up on day one and he has been chasing us and trying to redeem us ever since. Yeah. Rather than, um, so one illustration I've used before on, on stage actually is a set of solo cups. And so it's the idea that if you could picture five or six solo cups in front of me. And so whenever it's a funeral, I'm going to go to Psalm 23 and I'm going to take a drink from this cup that says, you know, I'll be encouraged by Psalm 23. And when it's a wedding, I'm going to go to first Corinthians 13 and I'll take a drink from the love chapter because that's what we do at weddings. We use the Bible to tell us about love. And then, you know, when I want to argue with my neighbor about the days, seven days of creation, I'll go to Genesis chapter one and I'll drink from that uh, cup. 
So rather than treating the cups as the, rather than treating the scriptures rather as a bunch of solos, we treat it as this unified story. Um, so all of that, I, I, like I said, there's so much to, to what you're asking. It's the notion that, um, yeah, you, you can't just, let's see, there's, there's, let, me, let me do this then too. <clears throat> Your biblical understanding cannot just be 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Right. It's impossible. It's impossible for that preacher or teacher or Sunday school leader to be all of your understanding in, in 20 minutes. I mean, you're getting, fifth, what, 52 sessions a year at best, <laughs> more right. like probably 40 to 45 at right. best at 20 minutes apiece. Um, that's, that's hardly enough to, to understand God's redemptive plan for humanity. <clears throat> and it's because I think we're treating it as, as solo cups. Like, cool. I got David and Goliath down. Let's talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, cool. Yeah. I got that down. Let's talk about Daniel and the lion's den, right? That kind of a thing. Right. And so it's like, well, man, because um, you made a reference to this earlier. Um, so the zoom out factor is also really important in the scriptures. So when you are talking about, um, I mean, there's so many references, but either way, you're talking about one topic and you could zoom out and see how it's actually like, oh, there's, there's a bigger picture there. And then when you zoom out again, you're like, oh, there's an even bigger, bigger picture there. Um, I can elaborate on that if you want, but either way, that's, that's, that's the best yeah. answer I've got for what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. And I, and I realized as I was doing my little paragraph of a question there, that there was about 38, <laughs> 38 topics inside. <laughs> um, one of the things that you mentioned in, in, in there was finding that line between life application. That's something, that's something that I have to work on all the time myself. My, my events are, are designed. How do I get better as a man, better as a husband, better as a father and all those sorts of things. At the end of the day, though, all of that is secondary to following him. So, so the, the, the events are life application kind of events, but there's a danger in looking at the Bible as this is just a different personal development book. This is just it, it, this is it, instead of a secular personal development book. Now I have my Christian personal development book. There's definitely a danger in that. And um, that's something that I struggle with in, in my own events. Like, do I need, do I need this to be more, do we need to go deeper in scripture in each one of these sessions? Do we need to have this more of a Bible study in each one of these sessions? I, I work through that in my mind every, every time. Um, I know you said you're still working through it. So this isn't looking for an answer. This is more of your right. thoughts on where you are with that right now about, about the line between this being a, a life application tool, which it is, but that's not all it is. So where, where are you with some of those thoughts? All right. So I don't, I don't do the dishes more and more. So that way my wife will love me or so that way in my relationship with my wife will be better. Rather, I'm pursuing a, a better relationship with my wife every day, and it manifests itself in um, doing the dishes or, or, or doing some other duty more to take more off of her, okay? So the order of operations has become very, very important to me. So, with, so I, I wrote this little circle here with like mm -hmm. two arrows, and I've got Warren you know, just in reference to, you know, your, your ministry base camp and, and whatever, you know, and then like, like two, two circles, like a yin yang kind of a circles, you know what I'm saying? And Warren and then like Jesus. And it's the notion that like, you know, Jesus leads Warren in how he leads men, but then Warren is pointing these men back to Jesus. And so it's making sure that that cycle, but you're right. But the, the pinnacle of that is not just for men to be better because right. Then it's just a self-help. Then it's a spiritual self-help rather than a secular self-help. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still wrestling down. Yeah. Um, in fact, okay. So let me just say this. I, I was challenged recently by the story of Joseph in Genesis. So I have taught the story of Joseph through the, the last 10 chapters of Genesis, fifth, last 15 chapters of Genesis rather, where Joseph, you know, he goes through these horrible things, but he's faithful in everything he does and he gets promoted. And so it's like, well, this is a lesson for men in the workplace. Right. Just be faithful and you'll be promoted. Be faithful and you'll be promoted. Be faithful and you'll be promoted. And it's like um, I've been through this journey of seeing the Christology. So seeing Jesus in all of these stories rather than treating them like this. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. There's there's way more to that. This redemption. Uh, uh, Joseph's brother at one point, Judah, 
who steps in as a substitution for another one of his brothers in this story. It's like, wait a minute. The brother Judah is stepping in to be the substitution for his for hit one of his brothers. I mean, Jesus came from the line of Judah. And so it's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, this is more than just this this life application. Um, so I, I don't I don't have a, a solid answer for you yeah. on where I'm at with that, except that the, the order of operations is important. That we are manifesting these things as the result of our pursuit of living like Jesus, being like Jesus, modeling Jesus. Oh yeah. Okay. I thought of something else that I was going to say when you were asking the question, um, living like Jesus, you know, uh, modeling Jesus and glorifying God. So yes, there is a very fine line or a very tough balance that, that you as a ministry leader face in trying to make sure that base camp is glorifying God and magnifying who Jesus is and what he did for us, but not just a Bible study. You're clearly trying to get it to become from biblical principles and manifesting itself in our lives. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. So because the Bible, the Bible is about living our lives. It's sometimes people on, on outside the faith look at it as, okay, this Christianity thing is just check the right boxes so that when you die, the proper decision about where you go is made. And and while eternity clearly is the majority of our existence, it's eternity. The Bible is also about living now. It's about living your life right now. How do you treat strangers? How do you treat family members? How do you interact with people? And what's the model, as you said, with Jesus? What's the model for doing that? So it clearly is for your life. It's for now. People ask me all the time because they notice I rarely get upset. I rarely get frustrated anymore. I've been in really, really dark places before and I just don't go there anymore. I have a different kind of peace and a different kind of contentment, but it's not me. It's through, it's through him. It's through the Holy Spirit. But people ask me about that and then I get to talk about that and say, well, you know, why do you have that sort of peace about you, that contentment about you? And it certainly isn't from living a perfect life because I'm, I'm far from a perfect guy. I screw up all the time, but I've, I've learned some of those lessons and they do apply to my everyday life. And I hope that I can teach those things to other people. So, yeah, I, I know that's, that's big. There's not a specific answer there. That's something I've been working through. Well, so what, what, yeah, what did you want to go back to? So then, um, so I recently taught using the idea of the mirror. And so it's the notion that the scriptures themselves are a mirror that reflects our shortcomings back to us. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a constant, and this is, you know, the lifetime meditation, prayer, meditation, um, reading yeah. over it, reading through it six, eight, 10 times, you get that next thing, the next thing. So it's a mirror. And so we, we look into the scriptures and it reflects back to us. It reflects back to us things about our nature, things about our character, things about what's driving us. Um, the, the things that sh- shouldn't be driving us, but they are the things that, you know, motivate us, but shouldn't be. But then um, so this was in Second uh, Corinthians. So then Second Corinthians talks about, which is one of Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. Second Corinthians, he talks about the fact that we are transformed from glory to glory. And, and I understand that or read that as, um, as we read the scriptures, we then are transformed into a mirror that reflects God to other people. So... Um, so I, I, I like reminding people or pointing out the fact that the cross is a vertical and it's horizontal at the same time. So the notion of our vertical relationship with God then manifests horizontally with other people. Yeah. Our vertical relationship with God then manifests itself horizontally with other people. So, so, so Warren, you're, you're in, inspired um, by you know, your, your faith, by your relationship with Jesus to then horizontally um, develop men. So, you know, but it's, but it's because you're so, um, it's because you're pursuing, um, Jesus in a relationship with him that it then manifest you, you, then you know that you're called to, right. Make men, um, bigger and better in the kingdom. Yeah. And so, um, that is another thing that I would say in response to your question about the life application is that you use the scriptures as a mirror to reflect, you know, reflect your shortcomings and your, your development back to you. And then it slowly transforms you into a mirror that um, it's like the sun and the moon and the earth. So the sun, of course, the, the, the moon reflects um, 
the sun's light onto earth. So we then become the moon, the thing that is reflecting the sun's light onto other people. Yeah. That, would, that would be my life application summary um, would be the, the mirror, the mirror analogy. And I, I just, I just taught that actually this past Sunday yeah. um, fr- from, from the pulpit at church. Um, yeah. So that would be one way that I would have people start to consider, okay, that you know, maybe that's a way I can look at the scriptures. Yeah. I like that. So. Yeah. I do like that. So I, I want to go back to the, the importance of actually reading, actually studying. Um, I also talk with guys who will tell me that they don't really read the old Testament. They don't really study the old Testament because now we have Jesus. Now we have a new covenant. Now we have a new way of going. Um, And one of the things I point out to them, and and I don't want to get too like deep in the weeds on, on verses in in our conversation here. Um, But if you look at Jesus and his temptation and, and uh, when he was being tempted, I should say, and, and how he responds, he uses the old Testament. He uses that in his response. He doesn't just say, well, I'm the son of God. He doesn't just say, well, I'm the Messiah. In his own spiritual warfare, in his own spiritual battles, he's using the Old Testament. So, so when, when people will, will bring that up to you, why, why bother with the Old Testament? Why bother, bother with the old part of the book when I'm in a Christian church, everything is about Jesus and going forward from there? So we kind of start at Matthew. We don't really care about the old stuff so much. It's more about Jesus and love your neighbors and all of that. Why, why do I still care about the Old Testament after Jesus is here? Um, well, I would challenge men to go on a treasure hunt in the Old Testament and find, uh, find Jesus uh, in the Old Testament because you'll spend the next 50 years discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, it's so, I mean, there's just, and, and so then one of the, one of the phrases that I heard that I love is the idea of hyperlinks. So the idea that the scriptures are full of hyperlinks. And so when you're in Matthew, there's a hyperlink back to whatever book and that book actually hyperlinks over to this one. This one refers back to this one. Um, okay. So one, yeah, man, there's, yeah. Uh, but that's what I would say is there's a treasure hunt for, for Jesus throughout the old Testament. Um, perfect yeah. example is Ruth. Okay. And I'll just say this really quickly, because if you, if you've been in any church environment, you've probably heard of Ruth, the book of Ruth taught to young ladies to wait on their godly man. I mean, it is like rule number one for the book of Ruth. Just tell young ladies, wait on your Boaz, wait on your Boaz, wait on your Boaz. Yeah. And when, when you just spend, I mean, even just a, I mean, watch like one YouTube video about Ruth, and become familiar with the phrase, the kinsman redeemer. And then all of a sudden you realize that the book of Ruth is actually about Jesus. And it's not about young ladies waiting on their Boaz. So Ruth, uh, Boaz was the man in the story. Ruth is, is the woman. And Boaz was able to serve as a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And the kinsman redeemer is someone who is related to um, that person. Um, so like a distant cousin situation, but then is also able to redeem her because she is a widow. So then all of a sudden, it just doesn't take you that long to say, wait, okay, so now here we have someone who's related to us, who's able to redeem us. And you're like, hmm, Jesus, he came to earth to be a human relative, and he's able to redeem us. And then you're like, oh, that's actually what Ruth is about. And you're like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, the the thing that started me on one of the big... um, I can't think of what the word is, but a, a big uh, moment in my life that sent me on this journey to make sure I better, I, I understood the Bible better um, was the idea of the Babylonian exile. So it's this phrase that I'd heard in church. I didn't know a thing about it. And I, uh, it's like, uh, I don't even know what that is, but I had been teaching in the church probably 10 years at this point. And I'm, I was still very unfamiliar with the Babylonian exile. And I was like, man, if I don't know the Babylonian exile, I'm pretty sure people sitting in the seats, you know, don't, don't know it. Cause I, and I don't mean that arrogantly. I just mean, right. Sure. If I'm up sure. here teaching, I've been teaching because I've been teaching twice a week for almost 10 years. And I was like, man, I, I had spent much time studying that. So then I started on this journey to better, un- to, to better understand the Babylonian exile. And then when you look at the exile, which is about a third of the Old Testament, maybe more, then you start to realize that the exile is actually bigger than just the nation of Israel. Now we're talking about all of us as humans being in exile because we were originally in the garden and then we were kicked out of the garden in exile and we've been in exile ever since. And eventually 
we will, you know, I'm saying be reunited with God um, in the new Jerusalem on the new earth that we read about in Revelation. So it's like, well, wait a minute, Genesis chapter th- you know, three and Revelation just connected. I mean, just yeah. like that. But then yeah. Jesus is the one in the center who's going to make all of that happen. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a treasure hunt of Jesus in the yeah. Old Testament. Not, that's what I would say. I mean, if, if for, any, for anybody that watches Netflix documentaries about treasure hunt, then just do me a favor. <laughs> Go through the <laughs> Old do Testament. Yeah. Do a treasure hunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and then the more, the, more you, the more you study and the more you learn these things, it helps to explain things that sometimes seem almost a little, a little strange or a little out of place. Like we go to the beginning of Matthew. Here we have the beginning of the New Testament. And, and we think, okay, this is, this is, we're going we're gonna to have the announcement of Jesus and all that. And Matthew starts by, and he was related to this guy, related to this guy, related to this guy. And you're like, wait, why are we just doing a genealogy thing here? And then you connect that back and you realize, oh, wait, the Messiah is coming from this lineage, so to speak, this, this fam, this is the family line of Jesus. This is fulfilling old Testament prophecy. And, and you put, you, you put those things together and, and then you realize, okay, this whole book of Matthew is really making the case for Jesus is the Messiah referencing old Testament after old Testament after old Testament. So sometimes we'll read something in the new Testament a little language or something that just feels odd to us as English speakers here in, you know, past 2020. And we have to realize, wait, all that was doing was saying, Hey, you know, roadside hyperlink to the old Testament thing is going on here. Yep. And so then important reference or important thing to understand then is that Matthew was likely written when, when Matthew was writing, he was writing it to people who were Jewish because the Jewish people did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So after all of the events of Jesus's life take place in the resurrection and and Matthew and probably his scribes that were helping him, of course, it probably wasn't just Matthew with one, one, one ballpoint, one G pilot, G G two writing down (laughs) on on, on paper. So he's, he's writing to Jewish people to say, no, really he is the Messiah that our people have been talking about. So that would be the reason why he might include the genealogy but John or Luke, John right. didn't, for example. And that's a criticism that we have as Western civilizations, as, as Americans or as Western civilization people. We impart a standard of accuracy on the scriptures or a standard of detail that the writers themselves didn't impart on themselves. So J- John wasn't trying to convince his audience necessarily that Jesus was the Messiah. In the se- he was actually tr- probably trying to convince um, the audience that he was the son of God, which is why John is filled with all of the things that it is because he he's trying to address that specific theology rather than Matthew. Who's trying to say, no, he is the prophesied Messiah. And yes, I'm going to use 14 generations to explain to you and show you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. 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 And then of course, by the way, you get into a little bit of the scandalous parts of Jesus's genealogy. Right. The notion that um, people who were really broken and bruised are part of his um, genealogy. Like, ah, that's kind of cool. Bible's got some scandal. Bible's got some stuff. in it. That's, uh, you know, (laughs) it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. That's part of the story of Jesus. Yes, that's part of the story of Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to. So I want to I'm going to come back. I want to come back to something that you said early on in our in our conversation here. Um, And you mentioned how people don't realize how much of Judeo-Christian principles our entire culture and society is, is based on. Um, I want you to, I want you to explain that a little bit because I'll have a conversation with people and I'll talk with them about how, even if they don't personally read the Bible ever, even if they don't set foot in a, in a church, even if they don't believe Jesus, even if they don't believe any of this stuff, I'll still share with them. Yeah. But Jesus still changed your life. And it is sort of on this part about how these principles, these aspects, they're rooted in, in our society so deeply that we're not even aware that they're there. We just think of them, well, that's just natural human behavior. That's just what people do. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that as we're getting towards the end of our, of our hour here. Right. So um, I can't remember the, the uh, Harvard professor's name. But there's a Harvard professor who, who published a, a work and he was talking about the fact the last 1500 years of ethics teaching across higher institutions is just all the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave in three yeah. chapters in Matthew. 
which is super fascinating to think about that. And so he unpacks that in this work and the notion that, I mean, and, and even then that, that right there tells you that it's, of course, it's even bigger than America, right? The fact that oh, 1500 yeah. years of ethical teaching is obviously, yeah. you know, outside of America then. So the notion that as humanity has developed beyond the horrific things that human cultures and human civilizations have done to each other, as we've developed and kind of grew out of that, you look back and it's like, oh yeah, Jesus kind of summed that up and, you know, three years of ministry, or you could, like, like I said, this Harvard professor specifically says the Sermon on the Mount, you know, so you're only talking about three and a half chapters um, right. in Matthew. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's, um, it's a little bit of that ethnocentricity that we're all guilty of, that we, you know, we, we just think that how we live and breathe and die is just the way it is. In fact, I use that when I'm talking with people who are skeptics and critics, um, when they say, but why doesn't the Bible dot, dot, dot? Mm -hmm. And that's when I, I answer with the phrase I used earlier about the standard of accuracy or the standard of, of, um, of information or detail. It's because now what you're doing is you're thinking like a 21st century American saying, but I demand that the scriptures tell me, right. I demand that you, that I, I want, I'm going to use Genesis to explain to me, um, seven days of creation. And I'm going to, I want Genesis to justify that. I believe it was seven 24 hour periods because scripture should have done that. Moses should have done that to begin with. So the British apologist, John Lennox, he wrote a book, uh, seven days that divide, uh, humanity. Hmm. And it's, it's probably a little bit of tongue in cheek. It's kind of like his way of saying that, you know, we, we have let, you know, one topic, one topic of debate absolutely put us in two camps, you yeah. know, and I, like I said, for him being British, I think there's a little bit of tongue in cheek, you know, some, some sass there coming from him yeah. to say, yeah. whoa, 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 you know, so um, I, I guess I, I, I did get a little bit, I think, off, off track on what you're saying, That's right. yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, that I, I don't know. I guess it's just a simple fact that you know you 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 have to be cognizant, you know, aware that your Judeo-Christian upbringing is all around us, everywhere. Now, yeah. the rebuttal to that that we hear a lot is, well, then if you had been raised in the Hindu culture, you'd be Hindu, and if you've been raised in a Buddhist culture, you'd be Buddhist, right? And if you've been raised in Judeo-Christian, then you're then you're Judeo-Christian, which then is used to um, reduce right the credibility of the scriptures. Cause then it just becomes, um, you're just doing what your culture is telling you to do. Um, but now we're getting over to apologetics, which is, you know, right. Right. You have an apologetics yeah. expert you can get on your next episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause but, so to, to this point, um, when we, when we talk about how this, this is truly the foundation of our culture, whether we recognize it or realize it or not, People will say uh, to me when, I, when I'm having these conversations, well, stealing, humans know stealing is wrong, so we don't need the Bible to tell us stealing is wrong. And I will reply, you need to study human history a bit more because, <laughs> because stealing is justified throughout most of human history. If you have something that you're not using, for example, we'll say you have two loaves of bread, I have none, my family is starving, it's okay for me to steal that from you because you don't need it. That's a normal human thing. Um, go, to the, go to the big one. Thou shalt not murder. Murder throughout human history is normal. Human sacrifice happened all over the planet. These things are normal. It's become so ingrained in us that we don't actually recognize that we're following the Ten Commandments, that we're following the Sermon on the Mount in the way our, our entire system is built. And um, I think part of that just goes to the power of, of what those are. And yes, so, some of it is certainly is cultural being, being raised in that culture. Um, and, I know that's huge. I just meant on the yeah, cultural thing. I yeah. just meant that people use that to try to reduce the credibility, but uh -huh. it, it doesn't, it does not reduce the credibility. You know what I'm saying? They, they use that as a way to say, oh, well, we only believe that just because that's how we were raised. So it must not elevate the scripture or it must not elevate Christianity to some higher level of truth, because of course, you know, it's all these cultural things, but then the response that I have to that is, okay, that's fine. Then you pick out your, um, you know, your ethical truths and you live them out and they won't hold water. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? You can claim that stealing is only wrong because we were raised in this culture or whatever. And you're, you, you know, you're absolutely right, Warren, that 
for thousands of years, people were stealing and all of that. And if you don't think it's wrong, or if you only think it's wrong for a relativist reason or a cultural reason, then that's fine. The next time someone steals something from your yard, don't call me. Don't call the police because it's not wrong. They were just yeah. doing what was in, you know, their in their right mind. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And and something else that you mentioned there, and I, there's a lot, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here shortly. Um, something else you mentioned is, is as we read the Bible and we read it with our eyes of, okay, 2022. So I'm reading it now. I'm reading it with my current mindset, my current language, my modern thoughts, and so on. One of the passages that's always stood out to me against that particular point is, is a quick, a quick, just almost run past you in Noah, where um, Noah is a righteous man in his time. So it doesn't mean he's the best man of all time. It doesn't mean he's a great guy compared oh, okay. to everyone. It's literally pointed out in there that we need to make sure that we understand comparing eras, so to speak, is a problem. Noah was righteous. Noah was a good man, or however we would want to kind of interpret that word. But of right. that time, in that time, at that time. So he could have been the best of the worst. Right. There, there could have huh. been, you know, everybody could have been horrible, but he was just better, so to speak. So even even in the Bible, it tells us, be careful comparing out of eras. Noah, he was he was he was this guy that that God's going to pick and use. But in that time of that era, that's him. So, you know, the the implication to me is, OK, if I pluck him out and I put him in a different era, maybe he's not that righteous guy anymore. Maybe he's not this you know, not quite so great. So reading it in that context, knowing the historical context of where everybody is at different times, I, I can't read this book as if it was written in 2022. Well, that's an interesting, I, I never thought of it that way specifically for Noah, because yeah, I mean, I mean, God destroyed humanity with the flood because of how horrible we were. So yeah, you're right. I've probably put Noah off in his own little circle of just absolute pure righteousness right but you're right it's like no everybody was pretty bad and it was like all right god's yeah. like yeah and then of course you have to leap forward to this is another hyperlink so then when hebrews is unpacking the heat the hall of fame you know it's the notion that noah was it was good but he wasn't good enough and david was good but he wasn't good enough and abraham was good but he wasn't good enough right it's all pointing yeah. towards towards jesus which yeah. okay so that's another reference i have to make since we're talking about hebrews when you're reading hebrews the, the letter, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew people. So the writer of Hebrews was trying to tell people Noah was good, but he wasn't the best. David was good, but he wasn't the best. Abraham was good, but he wasn't the best. Samson, you know, whoever, right. Gideon, they were all good, but they weren't the best. So that's a, that's a really interesting yeah. reference you made to Noah that I, I never really thought of it yeah. that way um, from a contextual well, Because we read, uh, we read past it so yeah. quickly, you know, and, and we're, yeah. we want to get into the story of Noah. And we yeah, want to yeah, get yeah. into the ark and the flood and what does all this mean? And, and, and so we just read past it really, really fast. But even there in the Bible, we're being told, yeah, sort of, it's sort of judge somebody in his era, <laughs> read, yeah, read yeah. some, read something in that context. So, all right, well, we, we, we definitely have to have to wrap or we could go for another few hours here. I, I always like to give everybody who's on as a guest a chance at the, at the end of the show what is, uh, what is something maybe that we didn't get to or that you wanted to come back to? Uh, what, is a, what is an ending point you'd like to leave everybody with about this topic, about the story of the Bible or anything that comes to mind? What do you want to leave everyone with today? I think that I would, I would want to actually lean in on ministers that are listening. So for men in ministry or, the, or, or you know, pass this along to you to pass along to other ministers, we should never... Um, presume or assume that our audience has a knowledge base that they don't. And we're bad about that as ministers that we say, you know, the story, you've heard the story a hundred times. Um, you know, we will make quick references to something like Hebrews and our, our, our audience is not in the same mindset as us. They're not even thinking about the fact that the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people. It wasn't written to the Romans. It wasn't written to the Gentiles. It was written to the Jewish people. So when you preach from Hebrews or teach from Hebrews, don't assume that people automatically think to themselves that context. That's what I, that's, that's what I'm really passionate about when I'm talking to people in ministry. 
um, which I know is may not be your, I don't, you know, I don't know, obviously everything about your audience, you know, for your podcast. Yeah. Um, but I would certainly, um, if nothing else, when you are speaking to men who are in ministry or serving, you know, in, in a, in a ministry capacity, we never jump to a, an assumption of people's knowledge just yes. because they've been in church for 15 years. Don't think to themselves, don't think to yourself that they know Daniel in the lion's den, you know, as well as you do, because you've been yeah. studying it for the last three weeks, getting ready for teaching. They may not have looked at it in five years. So. Right. Right. And just like we need to keep reading ourselves, yeah, well, as, there you, as, go. you know, it, it needs to continue. That needs to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, Mike, it's been it's been awesome chatting with you today. A um, lot of stuff here. I, I hope the people who are listening, I hope the guys listening have some light bulbs going off. I, I hope maybe more questions. I hope they want to go deeper themselves and just really appreciate your time today. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Morn. All right. Thanks, Mike. Hey, before you go, please make sure you subscribe to this show and leave a review. Five stars is, of course, the desired number of stars. So be like all the cool kids and do that. Enjoy the next show, guys. Doo-doo.